BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. You're under arrest for violating sections 4153 of the Tyco Treaty. So hand over whatever galaxy you might be carrying and step away from your busted-ass vehicle and put your hands on your head. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where this week we are continuing our exploration of Barry Sonnenfeld's Men in Black. My name is Steve Morris. I am a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roke. I'm a writer and producer and actor and voiceover guy in San Diego, California, and uh, excited to be diving back into this one and found people to be receptive to my comments about Tim Burton and Barry Sonnenfeld, which I thought was yeah. a nice reaction. I was expecting to get crucified, and uh, I got a nice walk out in the sun with some people who had I, disagreements, but also kind of slightly agreed. So I, like I didn't think it was an out there comment at all. I thought it was a very good, I think there's a good comparison between the two. And what I like about the question is it, it kind of helps you to do what we do on the cinephiles all the time, which is analyzing the director. Like, yes. well, what is a Barry Sonnenfeld movie? What's the overlap with a Tim Burton movie and how are they different and how, where do each of them succeed and not succeed? And, and Tim Burton, you know, at some point we're going to dig in, Yes. Deep to a Tim Burton film, which we really haven't done, but he is a fascinating filmmaker. So I'm really glad you brought up that comparison. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Um, I, I was just suddenly wondering, like, huh, if it, within our sort of podcast community, who do yep. you think it is most likely an alien in disguise? <laughs> I got to go with Movie Mance. Yeah. I, <laughs> I think if there's anyone, it's and, and a, not a bad alien or anything, no, but no. Like, he, he brings in a lot of energy. That's really an alien who loves Earth. Yes, yeah. I, I think you might be right in, in that comparison there. Uh, yeah, I could see that happening as well. It just all of a sudden, I've always left it here. <laughs> I've left it here. Yeah. Um, but we're not going into talk about movie mans. We're talking about Men in Black and where we left off. Jay had just, or I should say Edwards, because he's still Edwards, he's still had Edwards. just made the momentous decision to give up his every connection he has to humans on earth and join the men in black. And, and the last thing that Kay said to him is Edwards gave a long speech about all his skills is we opened up the door to men in black headquarters. And Kay says, as of right now, they mean precisely Dick. <laughs> I love this shot of the, of the headquarters and all the aliens moving through it. Again, this is Bob Welch is the production designer and all of the designs of aliens are from the great Rick Baker, who says that he designed more creatures for men in black than any other movie he ever worked on. Wow. 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 Well, he certainly brings it to life in a way. It kind of was reminiscent of the cantina scene 
Yeah. In Star Wars, right? Because you walk in, you're like all these different aliens, humans working together, all this stuff. The uh, the look of the place is a modern, what do you call it? retro, retro modern. Yeah. Uh, and I and I really enjoyed that. And it gets you into this feeling of like, oh, this is a cool homage to the 1950s sci-fi stuff, but still feels very modern in, in our approach to it. Yeah. You know, the cantina scene, that's a great comparison because what the what Lucas did that's so revolutionary in Star Wars is the idea of the lived-in universe, is yeah. the is that it's not all gleaming, pure, perfect corners and and everything elegant. It's like, no, pe- these aliens are people, and so, of course, they go to kind of a divey bar, and yeah. they act like a dive. And this is the same thing, which is that the whole point is to humanize these aliens. Yeah. And this is both, I guess, kind of Men in Black headquarters, but it's also... The airport, you know, it's also yeah. people traveling in and out. And one of the people that we see is this extremely striking, extremely tall guy, which is Carol Struikin, I think is, I don't know how to pronounce his name. And of course, we've seen him before because he plays Lurch in the Barry Sonnenfeld yes. movies. And he's in uh, he's in Star Trek The Next Generation, of course. And would you like to know how he became an actor? Oh, please. This would be a good story. He is walking, he's on, literally on the corner of Hollywood and Vine, <laughs> the spot where you get discovered and a producer of a movie is driving down the street, pulls over and says, I need you in a movie. The year is 1978. And would you like to know what movie this is for? Uh, yes, please. <laughs> yeah, this is not like one you could guess. This is not a piece of trivia that anyone would be expected to know. Yes. But the movie is Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts oh, Club Band. Right. I remember him. Really? Yes. He, yes. Dude, that film was a guilty pleasure of mine growing up as a kid because I was such a Bee Gees fan yeah. at the time. I, I never became a Peter Frampton fan, but I was a fan of the Bee Gees at the time. So I it was on repeat on Metro Media 5, right. uh, the channel on in DC. And I remember him because he's with the doctor. And they're the oh. ones who try to convince Penny of the things that they're doing. They're nefarious and whatever. But I remember him because he's such a striking guy. Sure. Uh, a Fran- Frank- Frankenstein-esque kind of guy that I remember him in the movie. That movie is a whacked out movie. And I think it just came out in 4K for people really? to purchase. Yeah, this is one of these quietly insane terrible movies about the Beatles, but the Bee Gees are so much fun in it. So, yeah. so, so what's funny is I too watched it a ton in yeah. a certain era because it was on whatever, I don't remember which channel was yeah, on, but, but it just, yeah. it just showed up a lot and I watched a lot and, and I, and I'm sure you, you have this too, which is there's a certain time in your life where you don't know the difference between a good movie and a bad no, movie. You're just watching. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so I was watching it and I watched it many times. And because I had, I was just sort of discovering the Beatles, like, but my, I, you, you know, the Beatles were always around, yeah. but the, the, it was when John Lennon died in 1980, yeah. which is two years after this movie came out. So that's probably right about when it goes into rotation on mm. whatever channel I watched it in yeah. that I was also discovering the Beatles. So to me, it was like, these are the Beatles songs and it had yeah. Steve Martin in it, it, had George Burns in it, it had right. all these people in it. I have not watched it probably since 1985. Oh, um, and so this, I cannot all, say the same thing. Yeah. Which is all my long way of saying, like, this is a perfect movie for us to do a watch along. <laughs> and I will oh. not watch beforehand. <laughs> what we'll, you think? Yeah. We'll have to figure that out. But yes, I, I think maybe that's a good suggestion because it is one of these guilty pleasure movies, but has these moments that are really insane, like Aerosmith, 
uh, doing yeah. um, uh, doing uh, they do um, come together, maybe? come together, right? Yeah, and they, which leads to the death of a certain somebody, and then the way it all comes together at the end with Billy Preston with Get Back. There's so much, but you're right, and there is a host of people that are a part of this movie at the end when they're singing the final Beatles song, where you see all these people sitting there like some cavalcade of stars at the time that'll shock people uh, that were in the movie or were part of that sequence at the end of the film. And yeah, Steve Martin's Maxwell Silver Hammer. Right. I have never heard that song the same way since um, after watching that movie. Because I didn't well, watch it when it came out. I watched it, obviously, when it started playing rotation, as you said, in the 80s. Yeah, well, yeah. this is why I say, and I know, of course, you're here to hear us talk about Men in Black, and we're going to get to <laughs> Men in Black, and I'm sorry for the digression, but this is why I say it's a perfect watch-along. Not because it's yeah. a good movie, because in my memory, it is a terrible yeah. movie, yeah. but because it's literally like a cavalcade yes. of names yeah. of that era. It's and time Yep. And because I haven't watched it in forever, although I remembered Aerosmith, I remembered Steve Martin, I remember yep. George Burns, and but I'm sure that there will be discoveries like, oh my God, I can't believe this person is in this, and yes. oh my God, how did they get so-and-so to do this? Yeah. That's why I go like, this is a perfect movie to do a watch-along for. Yeah. <laughs> I have terrible things, because uh, three nights ago, I watched Love at First Bite all over again on YouTube. They have the whole movie on YouTube. And as a George Hamilton lover of that and Zorro the Gay Blade, I couldn't resist. So I love the idea of doing a watch along of one of these like closet guilty pleasure movies. And that should direct you to patreon.com slash the cinephiles, <laughs> where if you want to hear us do a watch along of yeah. Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, well, that is the place to get it. But right now you're here as not do a watch along, but to actually discuss in mm. detail Men in Black. And right now, again, we're talking about that lived in world because yeah. what we're hearing are things that happen when you travel, like any fruits and vegetables and the layovers and the long miles and the cranky people. And that's what we're walking through as he's introducing him to the world of men in black. Hey, what, what branch of the government do we report to? Well, none. They ask too many questions. Which, again, I think is awesome and funny and great. And also I go like, oh, so there's this hugely powerful organization, you know, <laughs> secret organization operating with total impunity and no oversight. I actually <laughs> don't think that's a good idea. But in this case, of course, it's a great idea. Right. So who pays for all this? We hold the patents on a few gadgets that we confiscated from out-of-state visitors. Um, Velcro, microwave ovens, liposuction. <laughs> that is classic joke structure. That is the comedy three. The first two to set it up, Velcro, Micro Evans, and the third one takes you on a journey. Liposuction, yeah. it gives you something unexpected. <laughs> and I'm certain, and, and this is knowing joke writers, of which I am not one. This is a skill I completely do not have. But what I know from people who are good joke brothers, like, like Mike Fox and Will Fox, those, yeah. those are guys who write good jokes, mm -hmm. is that they probably had 15 liposuctions yeah 50 uh, they, they like plug different ones in and see which one gets the laugh right <laughs> i also love this joke because it continues to happen which is it's gonna replace cd soon so i'll have to buy the white album again <laughs> great stuff yeah all good jokes and what i love tommy lee jones's has the perfect deadpan straight man sense of humor you yes. know what i mean yeah it's a good balance to will's it's not, how can I say this? It's not like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. He's much more like, um, I've just got a little more experience than you are. And I've got these this knowledge in the way I approach things. But what the film smartly does is that it also allows will to breathe. Like it isn't just the old man's going to teach the young kid about the job. 
it allows the young kid to learn on his own as well, make the mistakes, um, have his way of doing things actually yield positive results and negative results, just like the old guy's way of doing things has positive results and negative results. So it's a quietly much more equal film than you might think oh, yeah. when you first watch it. And so I like that you're having the balance here between the two guys, and it allows Tommy Lee Jones to have a little more space to um, be accepted as someone who's a guiding force in this. Well, and he's actually a more complicated character. Yes. Because he presents, and most people see him as, the Joe Friday, I have zero sense of humor. Right. I am speaking just the truth with no, like I'm, I'm presenting as a completely unimaginative person. Yes. But if you listen to him and understand what he's saying, he actually is making jokes constantly. Yep. And he sees the world as totally funny. And he doesn't care if anybody else gets the joke. Right. Right. You know, and that is where, as opposed to Will Smith, who is posturing and preening and doing all of all of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's and again, that's why it's a perfect pairing. Uh, and of course, at this moment, Will Smith reaches to ask what this one thing is, touches this ball that goes careening around the office. <laughs> all of which they apparently figured out just on the day, like they really didn't plan oh, all this out. Okay. And I love it's just a Will Smith is hilarious in feeling terrible about yeah. this disaster that he's caused right. all of the damage and reactions around the room are great. And in particular Zed in his office working and completely ignoring the thing that's, you know, bouncing all around him before uh, Tommy Lee Jones catches it. It's all great. This thing caused the 1977 New York blackout. Practical joke by the great attractor. He thought it was funny as hell. Here's, Here's my favorite joke in this sequence, which is we go over to meet the twins, which are these two giant squid kind of guys that are controlling yeah. some big panel. Uh, meet the twins. And Bob. <laughs> <laughs> right. Remember, this is two years after Batman forever. So, oh, he, yeah. So he is he's still funny. Do you know what I'm saying? Tommy Lee is still in that place where having him do something comedic like that in that moment really strikes you and makes you laugh even more because of the kind of personality he radiates. So the fact that he would say the name in that way, I think was really smart by the writers to be like, Oh, Tommy Lee, would you be down for doing this? And him jumping in with gusto and delivering it the way he does. And a, this one I know for sure is the same thing of what I said before. They tried 15 different names oh, yeah. to try to find the funniest one. And I I rarely do this on the files, but I'm just going to play it again because I think that... I meet the twins. And Bob. Yeah. It's fucking hilarious. Great. Um, And then when we find out, we talk about all the aliens that are on the Earth, that they're tracking all of them, and we bring up this big screen that shows us some of the aliens working right now. And some of the ones that I could see were Sylvester Stallone, yes. Steven Spielberg. I think George Lucas is there. Yeah. Newt Gingrich. Maybe it's like Tony Robbins. I'm not sure. Mm. And, Dan and Danny DeVito. Right. Um, but that must have been fun, too, to figure out who you're going to pick. And I sure hope they got the permission from all those oh, people sure to, to show themselves on there. Because I thought it was great. Especially Stallone, which I thought was genius. <laughs> I think that's totally brilliant. When I was in third grade, everybody told me I was crazy, but I knew our teacher had to be from, from like Venus or something like that. <laughs> and of course, he's correct, because Kay says, Ms. Edelson, Jupiter, actually. Well, one of the moons. And then we cut to his teacher. Yeah, and she a great casting there, because she looks like she's got an otherworldly type of face. So it 100% works in the delivery. And again, it's yet another way that you're showing that 
Jay, who is not overreacting to all this stuff, he's kind of taking it in, has maybe already kind of suspected in a kind of subtle way or in a, one of the uh, strands running underneath his character that the world has had these kinds of things and he is now having it confirmed for him in real time as he's watching all of this stuff in front of him. So having a third grade teacher that he already suspected was an alien be confirmed as an alien shows that he's kind of different than anyone else who's come in to apply to work for the place, you know? I'm going to say something weird, and, mm -hmm. and I'm not trying to make this into a political thing, and I'm not trying to take it down that route or anything. Okay. I think it's 1997. Mm -hmm. There's something really powerful about casting Will Smith in this role. Yes. And, the, and, and even though his attitude mm -hmm. is very much what you might expect from an African-American young police officer and, and, and some from of the- New York. Yeah. From New York. Like- and, and so that is comforting in a way. Yeah. But the thing that's subversive about it, which I don't think we saw that much before this, hmm. it's very important to realize that Edwards or Jay is a genius. Yes. This is an unbelievably perceptive, intelligent guy who is way ahead of everybody else in the world. Right. You know, and, 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 and I, so casting him in this part, I think that's a huge step. Yes. And I think, you know, and it was it was noticeable. Um, you know, I know for me, my experience as a person of color watching him, I had seen, cause I was at this age now where I was becoming aware of this stuff, right? Like learning about it, reading about it, how certain people of color were portrayed as the quote unquote co-leads in films in the past. Right. And how they were seen as like a little bit submissive to the white male or female dominant. And of course, remember the late nineties is around this time where we start talking about the white savior complex in films like Dangerous Minds and other things that were around at that time. Um, and so to have Will come in, and as I just said a few minutes ago, have equal agency with Kay, with the Tommy Lee Jones character, I thought was really smart of the movie. And I think this is the reason why, another reason why this movie endures as a four-quadrant movie, yeah. because we're seeing black and white operating together in equal ways. Will at no point is like, show me the path or, you know, tell me more about this or how do I, sir, can you help me? It is much, and he isn't played for a stupid guy. He's played for a guy who is much more intelligent and is much more aware throughout the movie. And yes, does he occasionally slide into his Will Smithisms that he likes to do with certain voices that he uses or whatever? Yes, but it works within the construct of the film and I think you're right, Steve, and it's something I hadn't thought about um, consciously, is that he is a genius. And oh, yeah. I, I just think it was more a matter of that the guy isn't overwhelmed by too much, and you like to see that. And so he's got equal footing with uh, Tommy Lee Jones. But yeah, the genius no, makes sense. The guy that shot the little girl because of the quantum physics book, mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. a genius. Yeah. Good like the, the, yeah. The, and the thing is, is that, yes, is Kay the mentor, and does he talk down to him and all the stuff they does? Yeah, it's totally true. Kate, what what Will Smith says, yeah. the speech right before we ended part one with of, you know, you chose me, which means you, rec you know, you recognize the talent or whatever the line is. Right. That is 100 percent true. Right. And, and what we find out at the end is that Kate didn't choose him to be his partner. He chose him to be his replacement. Yeah. Is Kay recognizes that this guy is at his level or even a higher level. Yeah. That, that's what yeah. he's seen in this person. Right. And, and I want to make this clear. This is why I think the negativity towards Will Smith 
has always frustrated me because he changed the game in a lot of ways that people don't recognize. He's certainly Eddie Murphy kicked the door open as a lead, but here is a co-lead situation that's going to vault him into a leading man all the way up until the recently King Richard situation is he's aware of his, what he brings to the table. And in a way, men in black is a bit of a mirror for Will Smith in that the character of Jay, just like Will Smith in real life was like, you're going to treat me as an equal. I'm going to go do six degrees of separation because I'm going to show you I take this career seriously and this path seriously. And yes, I was a rapper, but I'm very much now transitioning into being an actor and I'm honoring that and I'm going to do that. And you're going to treat me as an equal. And so I like that. So I wouldn't be, I would not be surprised to find out that Will had much more influence on how the character was portrayed or played out uh, or written so that it would show him as a much more equal footing than a submissive character as a black man in the night in the late nineties here, trying to make a case for more black voices to be in the room and more black characters to be seen with much more dimension that they were in the past. So, yeah. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to say another crazy thing, but I, but this is what just occurred to me as you were speaking. Remember when we did Rocky and we talked about the fact that Rocky is the story of the guy that gets the million to one shot Mm -hmm. and Sylvester Stallone acting in that movie and the sacrifices he made to get there. Yeah. He, he too is a person getting the million to one shot. Right. The way you Brent. just described Will Smith yeah. as the person who is stating that his worth and stepping into a situation, even when he might be outmatched and demanding attention is the character of Edwards in this movie. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so there's a perfect, you know, synergy between who, who Will Smith was in this particular moment yeah. and how he takes on this role. Uh, yeah, absolutely true. Edwards, let's put it on. Put what on? And the camera pushes in on Zed in this dramatic way, and we hear, The last suit you'll ever wear. <laughs> and then we go into what is just a perfect, tight little montage yeah. of we see the prep, we see the lockers, we see his fingerprints getting erased. We see little bits of the clothes, the shoes, the watch, the glasses, all of these pieces in the montage while we hear the speech from Zed about what it means to be a men in black. Anonymity is your name. Silence your native tongue. You are no longer part of the system. You are above the system, over it, beyond it. We're them, we're they. We are the men in black. And the last thing we see at, as we hear the end of this speech is him taking off his earring, which yeah. is sort of the last recognizable individualistic piece of Edwards. Yeah. And then we hear, you know what the difference is between you and me? And the camera pushes in on Will Smith in the black suit, putting on the glasses. I make this look good. He probably wanted to say, I make this shit look good, but they, maybe they had to c- kind of curtail some of these cuss words. But yeah, a good moment there. Again, equality, right? I'm I'm going to say, I make this look good. That's the difference between you and me. And I'm ready. And I'm putting the suit on confidently, putting the sunglasses on confidently. We are equals, you know? It's a, it's a great moment. And shout out to the writers. Shout out to Sonnefeld, to under, who understood, like, we got to go get this audience, this young urban audience. and. Yeah. By the way, he had transitioned. He was mainstream. People may forget this. Those rap songs were huge. Huge. They were massive. The Mike Tyson one, the parents just don't understand. 
uh, you know, Summertime. These were massive songs. So Will was getting using the cachet to break into the acting side of things. And this was a great way to kind of show. So, uh, I mean, the producers, the creators, they all deserve credit for accepting Will Smith and uh, and creating that space for Will Smith to be able to see to be seen as an equal. You know? um, and I'm just going to say, to be real clear, when Will Smith says, I make this look good, mm-hmm. he does look good. Yes, he does. Yeah. He that the, the, the again, costume designers, Will Smith, the hair, the makeup, where they put the camera. That is a fashion, cool, sexy, hot shot that they create for him in that moment. And and by the way, you mentioned, I hadn't thought about the fact that he probably would have wanted to say, I make this shit look good, mm-hmm. but you can't put that in the trailer. And that's, right. why that, that's why that word is not in there. 100%. Uh, we cut to Gentle Rosenberg, who we later find out is an alien. The actor is Mike Nussbaum. He's got a cat and he is being watched by the bug. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, there, there's a bit that Edgar does of like trying to lean on his hand and then failing and trying to lean on the other hand and trying to force his hand to do it. Uh, that he is referencing Peter Sellers in Dr. Strangelove. Oh, when he can't control his arms. Yeah. Going up to do the yeah. Heil Hitler. And stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we have a meeting with Zed and we're kind of going over what we should be working on. And the thing that we're finding out is that there we, a, we hear there was an unauthorized landing somewhere in upstate New York. And then we hear we got a skimmer. Reggie, he's not clear to leave Manhattan, but he's way out of town right now, stuck on the New Jersey Turnpike. Why don't you take Junior here with you? This is a good one for him to warm up on. And Zed's last words to to Jay before they go is, Go get him, Tiger. <laughs> Outside, we head to the car, We and, and I love that he says, Unlimited technology from the whole universe, and we cruise around in a Ford POS. I love a Ford POS. I think that's a great joke. Uh, get in the car, and then he reaches, and we see there's a big red button on the gear shift. And he says, oh, the red button there, kid. Don't ever, ever touch the red button. No. <laughs> we are at a restaurant, and uh, Rosenberg and uh, the cat uh, go inside, and they sit down with Lurch, and they have a conversation in subtitled alien language. Yeah. Here's the cool thing about having your people speak in an alien language Mm. is when you find out that your plot completely doesn't work. You can throw out everything (laughs) you wrote and rewrite it with new subtitles. feel like you're leading to something. Yes, I am because there was this incredibly complicated plot. There weren't just two alien races. There were three alien races and there was an intricate strategic diplomatic thing between each of the three alien races. And they realized at the screening at their first screening that none of it worked. And so they went, oh, no, we'll just only, it's just two alien races. And, and, and but cause like, by the way, the Lurch actor and yeah. the guy with the cat, they're enemies oh, who hate each other from okay. the two different races. Gotcha. And so they just went, oh, this is all too complicated. And this goes to, you know, in my definitions, plot is the mechanism, the, the, the external conflicts and story is the characters who they are, their interpersonal conflicts and how they evolve over time. And what, you know, I have always said for the most part in their movies where this isn't true is that what's really important is story. The characters are what we care about. The reason the the MacGuffin, the cause of the fight, in this case, the galaxy, that's actually not that important. And and that's what they realize is like all this intricate, complicated plot. That's not helping us. This is a story about Kay and Jay and him joining the men in black and their partnership. And so they simplified all of this. Um, and, 
And so now it becomes just, there's a bug here and he's coming to get you. Hmm. And we cut from their conversation to the kitchen. What is it, Ivan? Gave him a break. Which is a classic, like, you know, Arnold in his heyday, you know, what happened to him? I let him go. (laughs) Because we then see Ivan, who's been folded in half on a shelf. Uh, And Edgar comes out to deliver his pierogi to these two aliens. You can kill us both, but you will not find the galaxy. And he does kill them. We see his tail go through their necks. Uh, By the way, Sonnenfeld didn't tell this actor, Mike Nussbaum, he he knew that he was going to die because that was in the script. Right. But he didn't tell him you're going to die with your face planted in pierogies on a plate that's covered with giant cockroaches. <laughs> he didn't know about that part until he showed up on the set. <laughs> yeah, you know, directors and producers, they'd be quite uh, tricky sometimes in certain moments. Uh, you're already here. We might yeah, as well I mean, shoot it. You know? And, and you, you know, you, you're going to have to, I mean, can you, how would you feel? I, my sense is that you're not the most bug friendly person in the world. I hate, hate bugs. So if, if I'm your director and you show up on the set and then I say, okay, John, just put your face in these cockroaches. What would your reaction be? I would not like it. Um, uh, and I would have to have a conversation with you and I'd have to know how much I'm getting extra <laughs> hazard pay for doing this. And the other part of it is that I have to inspect everything to make sure it's not actually cockroaches. It's pretty nasty. Yeah, it was pretty nasty because I did a student film years ago uh, when I was first starting out in the two, early 2000s, late 90s, where I had to put my head because I was a corrupt cop who was assaulting a woman at a stop. And at the end, she gets revenge and kills me, right? Um, they put my late at, we shot it late at night, like five, th- three in the morning, two, three in the morning. Right. And I had to put my head, the back of my head, into a, a bog, a swamp there in Florida. So, mm. oh. I was really fucking having issues because I could see little creatures in the water. So I told them, if it's a shot, it's got to be a quick shot. Like, I'm only staying in this water 30 seconds to a minute, and then I'm taking my head out. So you better set the whole shot, and then I will lay my head down and bang. And I don't even want to use, like, I don't even want to be a stand-in. You're going to have to use somebody else to be a stand-in, one of the crew. So I'm true to my word, Steve, that I would not be happy about the situation. So, yeah. I would hope that I would never do that to you. <laughs> yeah, well, I, uh, I, I mean, things fall through the cracks. Film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, of course. Well, yeah, and 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 frankly, we did some weird shit when we did student film. I don't think we ever did anything like that to an actor unsuspecting, right. but certainly there were some messy, you know, because that's what you do. I had Steve Jones covered in blood at one in, in one. <laughs> th- no, 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 no. It was Eddie Bowles. Uh, oh, Eddie. Uh, Eddie covered in blood in murdered in a uh, plastic trash stuffed into a plastic trash bag. Ooh. That's what we did. He was wow. fine. Eddie was fine with it. He's a very nice guy. Anyway, yes, Eddie's a good one. Um, but Edgar takes this thing that we know is a pouch of diamonds. He thinks it's the galaxy. He heads off and the cat growls. And of course, you know, we spoil everything on the cinephiles, but this is one of those things of, I think it's perfectly well set up. Yeah. That the cat, we haven't heard about the galaxy or anything. We've heard it exists, but we don't know about stuff later. But we learn as the audience that the cat is important right here, I think. Because yeah. it's growling as Edgar leaves. 
John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the King of Sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc we are out uh at a car in the middle of a freeway and Kay is talking to regic the actor's Patrick Breen, he's been in almost every single Barry Sonnenfeld movie. Oh, nice. Okay. And and again, it's handled like a typical, you know, pulling a car over on the side of the road, asking for license and registration, and then... I'd like to see your other license and registration, please. <laughs> and he's asking, why is Regic? he's not supposed to leave Manhattan? Where is he going? Well, it's my wife. She's... Well, look... Kay is at the driver's side window and the camera pans back to the back seat where we see his wife, who is in the middle of labor. Uh, yes, right. And I think this is a great moment mm-hmm. that totally works filmically and totally doesn't work realistically. And the reason I bring it up is that what's important is that it works filmically. Mm, right. It doesn't matter the fact that this actually, because if you think about it, Kay is parked behind uh, Regic's car. Yeah, right. He walks up past the pa- the back seat window, yeah. is looking into the front seat woman window at Regic, talking to him for several minutes. And yet somehow we're led to believe that he hasn't noticed the woman in extreme pain in the middle of labor in the back seat. Yeah. It, he, of course he would have seen her before because he walked up right past right. her. Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It, it, of course he would have seen her. But it doesn't matter because the pan back works perfectly yeah. in terms of movie making. Movie making is not reality. <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, <laughs> that's just something I want to point out. Uh, anyway. 
Uh, and he goes, oh, it's no big deal. And he calls up Jay and says, hey, uh, you handle this. <laughs> Jay's looking at this person in labor and goes, what, me? Yeah, it's easy. You just catch. Are you sure he knows what he's doing? He does it all the time. Let the men work. <laughs> yeah. And Interesting moment to allow him. But again, you know, you want to be equals. This is something you do. You have to do if you want to be equals is handle the situation because I'm going to talk to this guy, get some information. Yeah. Well, and this goes to, and, and this is overanalyzing it, but I'm going to say it anyway, which is, it goes to what we were saying before, is that if Kay believed that Jay was not up to this, yeah, I actually don't think he would have done this because right. babies and lives and aliens and all sorts of stuff is at stake. Yeah. And, and the fact, reputation of the men in black is at stake if he was to be so casual about the birth of an alien and the successful birth of an alien here on Earth. But but in fact, what he does throughout this whole movie, even though he's talking down to Jay and all sorts of stuff like that, is to go, no, no, you can handle this. I actually already trust you to some degree. Right. And it also sets up a great comedic uh, bit, which is this thing Sonnenfeld does a lot, which is dialogue and exposition in the foreground while crazy stuff is happening in the background. And in this case, by the way, it is weird that the Twin Towers are just so fully visible in the background of this shot. Always weird whenever I see that. That's true. But we see him, you know, reaching in to help this woman giving birth. And then some giant tentacle reaches out and grabs him and is slamming around on the top of the car while Regic and Kay are talking in the foreground. So let me ask you about this sequence, because as a director, which I'm I'm directed theater, but I've never directed film. The idea of having two important things happening at the same time. Are you in danger of sacrificing the focus? Because logically you're putting the conversation that uh, Kay is having in the foreground because you want the audience to pay attention to that. But you're also having Jay being thrown around by the wife's tentacles in the back for comedic purposes. So are you in danger of losing the, the information you're trying to get in the foreground because you want to entertain people in the background with some humor with what's going on with Jay? I'm going to, I want to answer that question in two ways. Cause I think okay. it's a great question. The first way I would like to answer your question with a question. Mm. What is there any information use the word information mm. that you are getting from what's happening in the background with Jay and the delivering the squid baby. Other than him being uh, flung around by the mom of the baby. I don't get any information other than yeah. this is his first real interaction, physical interaction right. with an alien because he did chase the guy down the parkour guy but didn't actually have a physical interaction. This is the right. first one. Yeah. So, so that, and, and that's what I think too, is that mm. what you're getting from the background is not information. What you're getting from the background is a comedic visual bit. Right. You know? And so what, what the way our brains work, and this came from, from Hoover and doing documentaries, you can't process the same two of the same things at the same time. Right. So I cannot hear one character say one bit of information and simultaneously another person in another place say a different thing of information i cannot hear both of those things at the same time right but what i can do is hear some information in my ears Mm -hmm. and see some visual comedy with my eyes at the same time and they don't interfere with each other and my guess is when they did this they made sure that the biggest move and i haven't tested this i have to go back and look that the biggest will smith comedic moments like when he gets banged on the top of the car yeah do not happen simultaneously with an important piece of exposition. That yeah, they, the, the, the way they put it together, they make a little hole. Like here, piece of exposition, yeah. comedy visual, next piece of exposition. Because not everything that Kay and Regic say is important. Right. You only need to hear that people are leaving because of some kind of emergency, that there's something going on that they're scared of. That's what we yeah. have to hear. Yeah, that they're aware of. And yeah, that 
the reason people are leaving the planet. Uh, yeah, I agree. And that's the thing that I wanted to ask because like when you're laughing, it's hard to hear because you're caught yeah. up listening to yourself laughing. So you've got to make sure you can drop the information at the right time so people don't lose it because it is important for people to know that people are, the aliens are leaving Earth and there's a reason for that. Yeah. Well, and, I, and this is my second answer to this question, because what you also made me think of was, well, how would I have directed this? And I would have directed it differently, and I would have been wrong. And this is mm -hmm. why Barry Sonnenfeld is a better director than me, because I would have wanted to be more in Will Smith's perspective as he's having this experience. So I would have I would have cut, because again, I like to edit, so I would have cut back to him and seen him struggling and trying to get away, and I totally would, ne would never have occurred to me to do this visual joke that Sonnenfeld does of yeah. the foreground and the background, which I think is hilarious and brilliant. And again, this is why doing the show is so great, because every time I go, I, you know, because I yeah. think through what would I would have done and I go, oh, and this is why what I would have done is less good than what's in the movie, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and then we cut to he's delivered the baby and he's holding this, you know, Rick Baker creature in his arms, okay. which is this. And I love the lines of congratulations, Reg. It's a squid. And at that moment, the squid vomits on Will Smith's face. And we cut to Will Smith in the car covered in slime and Kay says anything about that seem unusual to you and the look from will smith is perfect but he's legitimately asking him you know yeah. because he's such a by the book guy that he's like hey did you catch it because i trust your opinion i trust your analysis you've been able to catch things in the past so did you catch anything here you know well and and to be really clear does he think that the delivery of the baby or the squid baby vomiting on Jay, does he think that's unusual? K. Does K think that's unusual? No, no, no. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so the look is, is Jay going, I literally just delivered a squid while being yeah. thrown around and they get vomited on by an alien. The whole thing is unusual, but for K, it's not. Barry Sonnenfeld thinks this line, did anything about that seem unusual to you? sums up the entire movie. He thinks this moment is the whole movie. What would scare Regic so badly that he'd risk a warp jump with a newborn? Let me check the hot sheets. Cut to. These are the hot sheets. Best investigator reporting on the planet. Which are supermarket tabloids. This was a great joke. Because again, what some of you may be watching this film in 2023 didn't understand is that in the late 90s, this was huge, right? Mm -hmm. And this was kind of in a way... Um, if you go back and analyze society at this time, this is the beginning of the taste for reality TV uh, bubbling up uh, for, for large numbers of people. These National Enquirer, Weekly World News type of things that people were buying all the time and talking about making jokes about, even in stand-ups, uh, about alien babies and all this kind of stuff. So it was a great way to twist an actual real thing that's going on in our society that people knew about at the time and play it for, for laughs and good laughs as well. You know, it just went through my brain as I went, well, is this, you know, are there, is there still a market for these kind of supermarket tabloids and do they have, and I'm sure they still exist and stuff. And then I just suddenly went, Oh no shit. Cause we have the internet. Yes. The internet has taken the place of that kind of stuff. Of course. Then I believe you're looking for tips in the supermarket tabloids. Not looking for found. He tosses this one uh, newspaper on the hood that says, Aliens stole my husband's skin. Cut to, we're pulling up onto the farm. Can I help you, gentlemen? Uh, yes, ma'am, I'm Special Agent Mannheim. This is Special Agent Black of the FBI. We'd like to talk to you about your visitor. Again, 
Just the little look from Will Smith is great. You here to make fun of me too? No, ma'am. We at the FBI do not have a sense of humor we're aware of. May we come in? <laughs> they go inside. It's so weird to listen to these jokes in 2023 with all the drama that's gone on with the FBI. It's true. It's so it's weird. true. Anyway, yeah. So this scene was uh, Siobhan Hogan's, and I'm still probably pronouncing that name wrong. Uh, it was her audition. Oh. And th- apparently she had everyone just in hysterics. Yeah, Like people so couldn't talented. respond. She was so funny. So this is definitely casted in the room. So the casting director is David Rubin. And David Rubin is one of, not not only is he one of the great casting directors of all time with things like Hairspray and The English Patient and a ton of, ton of things, Big Little Lies, Game Change. He also is a casting director that my wife worked with and is one of uh, her favorite people. He's also the casting director who, until last year, was the head of the Academy of Motion Pictures. Hmm. So he was the head of the Academy at the Oscars when Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. Wow. So this is the guy that gave Will Smith one of the key roles in his career, and he is in the per- the person in those seconds after yeah. this crazy event happened that was involved in making those decisions about whether they would continue, whether he would be arrested, whether he would be allowed to accept his award. And then, and then in the weeks following of what was going to happen to him and whether or not you think that David Rubin made the right decisions or the wrong decisions. I, my opinion is these are impossible decisions. Yeah. There was, there was no way that he could make decisions that were, everyone was going to embrace as the perfect choices. And I just think it's crazy that this is one of the guys that gave Will Smith his biggest roles. It's a crazy little circle. Isn't it? LA. Yeah. The way Shubhan Hogan says her lines, the, the rhythm she has, the, the, the slurredness of her speech, the, the, the tonality of it. Mm-hmm. It's like nothing else. And it is so fucking funny. Took a police report and written down everything I said. From A to Z, not believing one thing I said. Sort of poking fun at me. By the way, she offers lemonade, and you see Will Smith take a sip of the lemonade and then spit it out. Why do you think he spits out that lemonade? Uh, I, I'm i wondering if maybe it's because she's out of sugar. Because she's drank, out of sugar. Yeah, he's drank all the sugar water. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I think happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you something right now. I know air, and that was an air. It's like something that's wearing air. Like a, like a suit, an eager suit. Shaban is such a great fucking actress. Like, like SNL every once in a while gets these comedians who are really actors, right? And certainly the most obvious case, Robert Downey and Anthony Michael Hall that year that they did that. Right. But like Christine Ebersole, way back in the 1980s, people forget that she was in the same cast with like Eddie and Joe Piscopo. She went on to be a phenomenal actress, still working today in a number of things. And Siobhan is that way. Some people forget Siobhan is the bus driver in Forrest Gump. Siobhan has been in a number. Yeah, she's just, she's a chameleon. And she's so great at playing all these different kind of roles that uh, she was one of those people that, yes, she was on SNL, but it's what she's done after SNL or while she was at SNL and other projects that really kind of hallmarks how much of a great actress she is. What a... um, chameleon she is as an actress when she's playing roles so yeah seeing her play this scene is so brilliant and it's again smart casting because you want someone who's going to be memorable 
to tell you, even the way she says Edgar, she doesn't say Edgar, she says Edgar. Like it's Edgar. D is missing. Yeah. Like the D is missing. So I'm sure that was a decision by her as a as a comedian actress to present it in a certain way that was memorable and let you think in the back of your mind, something's off here. Something's off here. And so just really smart stuff. It's also key, a a definitely audition advice, but, but Mm -hmm. kind of job interview. Well, maybe, maybe it's not such key job interview advice. Mm -hmm. Most people, most actors go into an audition, not wanting to fuck it up. Right. Yes. As opposed to going into an audition with, this is my choice. Like putting your foot down and saying, this is what I, this is what I'm doing. You're going to, you're going to remember what I'm doing, whether right or wrong, you're going to remember me, but it's, but I validate the choice by uh, dedicating myself to commit and committing to the choice so uh, effectively that you'll, even if I don't get it, you'll remember me. Yeah. Which, if you're applying for a job at the IRS, maybe isn't actually the best <laughs> advice. But when you're going for an acting job, yes, it is. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so, but by the way, when she mentions the sugar water, that's pretty much it for Kay. He knows what he needs to know. Yep. Pulls out his flashy thingy, flashes her, and says, All right, Beatrice, there was no alien. Flash of light you saw in the sky was not a UFO. Swamp gas from a weather balloon was trapped in a thermal pocket and refracted the light from Venus. And this is the first time that Jay, in his memory, has seen the flashy thinking. <laughs> and that weak-ass story is the best you can come up with. All right. On a more personal note, Beatrice, Edgar ran off with an old girlfriend. You're going to go stay with your mom a couple of nights. You're going to get over it and decide you're better off. And then he comes up with his own story, which A, is really funny, and B, she does the best reaction shot, which is because she's dazed yeah. from the flashy thingy. Right. And so she can't do much. And there's like the tiniest flick of an eye on yeah. when he says, I think when he mentions Bloomingdale's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That just makes the moment perfect. And again, but also again, this is really interesting, right? People so caught up, woke, woke, woke. But look what happened in 19, what is it, 1997? Yeah. He is giving her a more empowering uh, story in that, you know what? It was you who broke up with this guy. And you were going to go on the shopping spree and you were going to do something better with your life. And I like that. It's Will who's bringing in the modern point of view here that, you know, the old school Tommy Lee Jones is like, here, a simple story, but I'm not getting involved in the gender politics or whatever in this relationship. But as Will is going, well, if you have the opportunity to give her a different story, let's change her life for the better and yep. give her a more positive, empowering approach to the world. Of course, if this had come out now, it'd be like people going, oh, woke, woke, woke. But no, it's about these subtle ways that you're showing that you're a more updated, progressive approach to the world. This is a woman caught in a terrible relationship. Here's a better path for you to walk now that you're getting a second chance. Well, and it becomes a character beat between Jay and Kay. Yes. Which is that Kay, the older guy, is, as much as he has a sense of humor, he doesn't give a shit about these people. He doesn't want to get involved in their lives. Whereas... Ed, Jay was just Edwards and is closer to these humans and goes, no, no, we need to do a better job than that. Right. Can I say one more thing about Yeah, that? yeah, yeah. Steve, I think you're 100% right to hit that nail on the head because it also highlights how Kay has not seen the stars. Kay says exactly. that at the end to Jay, right? I, I, haven't no, I haven't looked up and noticed the stars. Same thing with human beings. I haven't looked up and noticed the human beings. So I've been so caught up with the aliens, I haven't noticed the human beings. And so in this moment, it's kind of laying a little bit of the seed for the back and forth they're going to have at the end of the movie. So I, I, I'm, I just because you said this, now I'm going to take it to a deeper spot. Yeah. But I there there is, whenever you do a job that involves 
dealing with heavy shit. Yep. People develop armor. So if you're yes. an EMT or an ER doc or a cop or a fireman or you're social workers, stuff like that, you got to have the armor because you can't take home all the pain. Mm -hmm. But if your armor gets too thick and you lose touch with the humanity, yeah. you cannot do your job. And that is, that is K and K's armor is so thick now yeah. that he needs Jay to come along. Who's a little still closer to the humanity and go, no, no, we got to care about these people a little bit, right. you know? Yeah. Anyway, we're outside. He's scooping dirt into some little device. I believe this device is uh, Sonnenfeld's least favorite prop in the entire movie. He just didn't feel that it was that cool looking. And while well, Jay is asking, okay, look, check it out, man. When do I get my own flashy little memory messer upper thingy? When you grow up. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and then he says, please, not green. <laughs> of course, it's green. Oh, damn. I don't suppose you know what kind of alien life form leaves a green spectral trail and craves sugar water, do you? Oh, wait, that was on Final Jeopardy last night. Damn, Alex said. And he picks up the phone. I love, by the way, when he calls Zed, there's no hello. No. There's no dial tone. There's no wait for response. He says, Zed, we have a bug. Yeah, those are two old school dudes. Yeah. I'm sure there's not a lot of small talk between them. So, what, we don't like bugs? Imagine a giant cockroach with unlimited strength a massive inferiority complex, and a real short temper. is terrassing around Manhattan Island in a brand new Edgar suit. <laughs> he asks what the move is, and yeah. then he says the move's in. With a bug in town, we watch the morgues. Cut to the morgue. Mm. Gurney being rolled in with the bodies, and the cat is on top of the gurney. I, I, you could tell a movie's good when they give a good little bit to a bit player yeah, for one moment. And this one is the guy bringing in the bodies. Uh, and of course, there's uh, Linda Fiorentino. And she asks about the cat. And he says, oh, the cat. Yeah, well, there's a problem with the cat. Sign here. She signs the thing. What's the problem with the cat? It's your problem. It's your problem. <laughs> You're That's right a great that. bit. You're right. 100%. It's good to give color uh, in, in the film by having these character actors do these little, these five and unders do these little moments. It's great. Well, and you could totally have just cut to her, the gurney yes. being wheeled in. We see the cat, and then you cut away. 100%. But this adds 15 seconds worth of time, maybe, yeah. and it's great. And we're going to have a moment like this later on with the tow truck driver as well. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's uh, examining uh, one of the bodies, has a reaction, and says, oh, Buddy, what are you? Later on, she's dictating the results of her examination. Subject was approximately 112 degrees at time of autopsy, indicating an increase in body temperature. Examiner tried to verify this rectally, only to find the subject was without rectum, which is, needless to say, really weird. So let's take a moment here, man. I mean, because okay, you're, let's. you're not going to move past the hotness that is Linda Fiorentino, okay? This, she was such a big commodity at the time. Right, because they there was a, a film that came out with her and Anthony Edwards back in the nineteen eighties. I can't remember the name of it, but that's the kind of thing that started this. And then she did this film where she played a woman who has her own kind of sexual identity and like a femme fatale, but that went through dudes and used them all, and at the end came out on top, which really was a big deal because it's independent film, and a lot of people were upset about what it showcased and how showing seeing a woman so empowered in a film like that to use her sex to get what she wanted and have no issues with it. Right. And so 
she, the last seduction, I think it was called. And mm-hmm. so she was very much a woman who had a name. And so it was a kind of a shock to see her in men in black. And unfortunately from what you hear about that is that she was kind of difficult to work with. And who knows if that's through the prism of men, Kevin Smith kind of alluded to that in do- uh, working with her in dogma as well. So I don't know if maybe she was one of the, one of the people who was just had trouble with people on set, or if she was a woman who was very, very confident of her opinion and her point of view and whatever, but, she sticks out in this movie like a sore thumb. The voice, the delivery, the performance, the action, it feels like she's in a different movie, yet she fits in the movie. It just feels like she's in a different movie. So it's an interesting thing to see her in the film and what she does in the film, because there is almost no comedy until her final moment when she shoots the alien uh, that she has any kind of comedic beats or comedic moments at all. Okay, for, so a I disagree about the comedic beats. I think she's funny multiple times, but before oh, then, okay. but but I think I think she first of all fits right into this movie. I mm-hmm. think what we were talking about auditioning and coming in with a choice. I think she totally does that uh-huh. because she has this sort of very straight ahead approach, right? You know, like his because the reality is is she's like Jay in the mm-hmm. sense that she sees all the weird shit going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't know how many times uh, Kay has flashy thinged this character. He said, he said a couple of times when they have the interaction after they visit her. Which means to me, it's more than just a couple oh, of times. Oh, good point. Might be more than a couple of times. I mean, she Definitely. came, we, we saw her come in in the earlier scene where she says, hey, something's going on. I've been seeing some weird stuff. So she sees a lot and she has this very straight ahead, sometimes sexual different perspective on the thing i think she um fits in really well in this film really? I'll, I, oh and maybe and maybe it doesn't work as well for you but no she totally works for me no i like her in the movie my point is more a matter of like her energy is so different it is i agree what everyone else is doing i guess is what i'm trying to get like rip torn you know he's playing it for the gravelly post funny funny guy vincent d'onofrio's doing the whole physical humor which sure. is great in the skin will smith is doing his will smithisms and then Tommy Lee Jones having having little moments of humor within conversation. There is the funny bit with her trying to point at, which we'll get to a little bit later, to point at uh, D'Onofrio there underneath holding her hostage. But to me, she's such a straight-laced energy that it feels a little out of place with the film. It doesn't take away from the film. just feels a little – like she's bringing an independent movie approach to a broader mainstream comedy type film. But, you know, but if it works uh, – I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm saying if you feel like she fits, then of course that's point of view situation. Yeah. You, you know, you know what's funny to me is the way you described each of those people, which I mm. completely agree with, is to me, and this is why maybe I think it works better for me, is to me, it just was uh Riptorn, oddball, Tommy Lee Jones, oddball, Will mm. Smith. Uh, they're all odd. This is a world populated oh. by oddballs. Yeah. And so she is just a different one. You know what I mean? Like mm. each one of these people have their own speed and rhythm that's completely unique. And they fit, and they fit together like a like a good band. Like yeah, you needed this note over here. Interesting. You didn't need another one who was doing acting like Will Smith. You needed someone doing something else. Mm-hmm. The other thing I just wanted to bring up is just your point about her. And again, I know nothing about whether she's easy right. to work with, hard to work with, or anything like that. It's really hard to be a female movie star. Sure. That, that they just they just don't last because Hollywood. Hollywood's expectations of what they want from a woman, and although this has changed to some degree today and maybe is a little bit better, it ain't a lot better. Right? right? You can have a male actor who can go 30, 40 years and be a romantic lead, but you can't do that with a female actor. 
It's just, they just won't let you. Yeah. Merrill is Merrill, yeah. Pfeiffer. These are the rarities. You're absolutely right on that. And of course, on the heels of what we just heard about, um, Halle Berry and how they were going to manipulate her to be in oh, yeah. the X-Men movie. Yeah, you're right. That, that uh, certainly because it's a male dominated system and it certainly was in the late nineties, even more so, um, their approach to how women are on the set or how they treat women on the set, it can be quite different. You know, that being said, there are some people, male or female, who are for whatever reason difficult to work with uh, on a set. Um, and that also can be a part of what might have happened here as well. But it's a shame because it, the, a lot of the stories I read afterwards is one of the reasons uh, that uh, Tommy Lee Jones or and Will Smith, one of the reasons they came back was they said she could not come back. Hmm. And so that's what I've read in a couple of stories doing research for this as well. So either way, I, I love her in the movie, even though she sticks out for me. Right. This was my overall point. So uh, we got Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones are there, and it ends up that Jay, she brings him over to the autopsy where he's got to reach his hands into a dude. And it's a fun, and it's a funny bit. A, it's a funny bit with him trying to pretend he knows what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> B, it's a funny bit because she's strangely flirty. Yes. Um, which is a weird choice. Yeah. And he goes back over to Kay. And what's this is, I think, what we see is Jay's one weakness, which is he's super observant and super perceptive of everything, except when this woman is involved, in yeah. which case his powers of observation go way down. <laughs> what do you think? Very interesting. She got a real queen of the undead thing going of the body. Great body. The dead body. Great body. That's a funny bit. <laughs> it doesn't feel. And of course, any of our female listeners can certainly correct us on this, but it doesn't feel exploitive when they're having the back and forth, right? Because he doesn't get into like saying negative things about it. He just said, great body. That's it. You know, he doesn't describe well, it specifically or whatever. You know? There's nothing. I mean, they didn't put her in an outfit. You know what I mean? Right. Like this is a doctor, you know, who's an intelligent person who has it up on him. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I, 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 I yeah, I don't, I don't have an issue with any of that. And then she calls him back over. And because we're looking at his ear, yeah. and then he touches the ear, and the whole head opens up, and there is a little alien inside this giant head. And by the way, this looks like a little tiny alien in a giant head. It is, in fact, a three-foot-tall puppet in a huge head wow. that they then matted in in order to do this special effect. Wow. And this is where we, the alien, and this is a puppet controlled, of course, by Rick Baker, hmm. and struggles to get out the words that to prevent war, the galaxy is on Orion's belt. And the alien dies and the cat meows. Yeah. And I think this is one of those great things where different people in the audiences will get things at different times. And I think maybe this is a 10% or 15% of the audience is going to suddenly go, I bet that cat is Orion. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And then later on, a few more people might get it. And then later on, a few more people might get it until we finally have the big reveal. Yeah. I knew it. This is an alien, and you guys are from some government agency trying to keep it under wraps. Look, he, he said to prevent war, the galaxy is on Orion's belt. This makes total sense. How else do you explain New York? The other day, I was in this cab, and this guy was... And he flashes her. <laughs> Damn, man. You did the flashy thing already. And I, I love that 
she's starting to realize who they are again and that Kay's yeah. going to flash her again and all the physical timing of Jay trying scrambling to get his glasses on before the flashy thing is all really, really funny. Would you stop that? What? That, that thing is going to give her brain cancer or something. Never heard her before. Look, we got to get all the doors closed off around here. Special services will be here any minute. What? Never heard her before. How many times have you flashy thing that poor woman? A couple. So would you not worry about no long-term damage? A little. And then I love this line. Hey, Kay, have you ever flashy thing me? No. I ain't playing with you, Kay. Have you ever flashy thing me? No. <laughs> so good. So good. W- Will Smith plays that all perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm glad uh, it doesn't lead to this big confrontation scene nope. between them, right? It's played for the for the audience to get the joke of it all and wonder if he's going to reveal it at some point down the road. Yeah. Well, and if we extend the conflict we saw before of of Jay wanting to have nicer memories because yeah. we call in the cleanup squad. All right, we got two dead aliens and a deputy medical examiner needs a new memory. Yes, sir. And Jay gives him a look. Make it a happy memory. <laughs> So he's affecting him. He's exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking too, is that this is the, because this is a buddy movie. And you know what it isn't, by the way, the general setup of buddy movie is we start off, you know, it's lethal weapon. God hates me. Hate him back. Works for me. You know, like I hate my partner. And by the end of the movie, we're best friends. That's a classic. That's not where this one starts. No, but it definitely has the structure of slowly, but surely these guys are going to become a team. Yeah. We're with Edgar, who is freaking out because he thought he got in the galaxy, but he is not. We're back at headquarters, and Kay is typing some coordinates into a map while Jay is talking to Zed. And what's cool is that he said, basically, Zed is telling Jay, you're crazy. Yeah. And and Jay goes, well, whatever, man. I know what I heard. I know what I heard. Right, exactly. Which I like. He wasn't swayed. Again, equality. It's great. It's funny, by the way, that you brought up the in the in the scene of jay delivering the baby and the two Mm. things at once and how you handle it directorially that's exactly what's happening here because we're hearing a conversation that's that's expositional about the galaxy and orion's belt but we're watching k look at the face of this woman yeah that he's zooming into so we're getting emotional and visual information from one source while simultaneously getting expository information from in through your ears yep 100%, you know 100 but the thing is is then jay sees k looking at this woman hmm. do you think k wanted jay to see him looking at this woman no i don't think so because i think the way he reacted was to kind of like you like people do sometimes when they shut down their computer when you catch them looking at uh, a site they shouldn't be on or looking at uh, if they're at work looking at you know like a, a site to buy clothes or whatever exactly the, the, it was more like that and he felt a little bit like jay got information from him that he didn't surrender a little bit. And I think that's where um, Kay's a little thrown off by it. But that's it's certainly, hundred, yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I think what it shows though, is that Kay is starting to break a little bit and yep. open to the door to the possibility. And it's a little bit of a hint that he's going to get out of this down the road. Yeah. That is everything that I think. Yeah, mm. exactly. Is, is that he got, he's, he's becoming more sentimental and then he got caught in a moment of being sentimental, which right. I didn't really, really want. It's a great line for The Godfather, right? Would we have been able to get to The Godfather 10 years ago? What well, Salazzo says that. And that's right. essentially, would, would Kay have been careless enough to be caught by Jay 10 years ago? Exactly. No, but he is now. Yeah. That grumpy guy story starting to come into focus a little bit here. So you were the guy in that picture you showed me with the flowers. 
And I take it she never got those flowers. So what, she ever get married or anything? No. And I, I, I love this next line. I think it's so good. Ah, well, you know what they say, it's better to have loved than lost than never to have loved at all. Try it. Yeah, try it. That's where having a great actor like Tommy Lee Jones, who's who's totally delivering on the comedy yeah. throughout the whole, he's delivering everything he's supposed to. But the fact that he has got so much more power that he can draw on if he wants to gives yeah. you this moment where he says, try it. Yeah. And then what we find out is all sorts of aliens are fleeing the planet. Yeah. And then to make matters worse, an Arkellian battlecruiser shows up. And so we're going to head to uh, Rosenberg's jewelry store. Yeah. And Zed says, K. And again, just like with the get, you know, get the last suit you ever wore moment, the camera pushes in on Zed. Give the kid a weapon. Cut to the armory. And we're looking at all these cool weapons, including Series 4 deatomizer. That's what I'm talking about. And then he hands him a <laughs> tiny little gun. A noisy cricket. <laughs> Which is great. Um, but he doesn't tell Kay. I mean, it's all it, it all works great in the movie, and this uh-huh. is what it should be. But he doesn't say, by the way, this is extremely powerful. <laughs> it will blow a hole in a building, you know? Right, right. But it, um, but it is an interesting, because later on, Frank, the dog, says, oh, you humans are caught up with the size of things. It doesn't matter, right? So it's right. a little bit of a... Yep. Uh, like subplot rolling around underneath or a message rolling around underneath. But I liked Will Smith's reaction and it makes sense, right? Because Will Smith's already an outsized personality. You don't need to give him a big gun. The little gun actually works comedically so well. Whereas Tommy Lee Jones is so much more laid back, a bigger gun makes sense for him. So it also works character wise in the film as well. Uh, it is. I I agree. And I think it's so hard. People, one of the things people don't understand that's super hard is tone. Yeah. And right. particularly with a movie like this, where it is Men in Black is its own thing. This is not like, like if you watch Airplane and then watch the Naked Gun movies, that's the same tone in a different genre. Right. Yes. 100%. You know, this is it is sci-fi. It's a tiny bit of horror. It's a lot of comedy. It's a buddy cop movie, yeah. and we're right, just hitting that tone exactly right through the whole film. That's really really hard. Yeah. Um, Edgar wrecks the jewelry store. He doesn't find anything. He is shows up, and this is the moment you mentioned before, where his car is getting, his truck is getting towed. He pulls his gun. The other guy goes, "Please!" and great pulls his line. own gun. I mean, great line saying, "Please!" Like I've been here a bit, and his thing is like Clint Eastwood long type of gun uh, that we've seen before. So I thought that was a great moment. Yeah, they show up, don't notice the altercation around the tow truck at all. Go into the jewelry store and goes. Who breaks into a jewelry store and leaves all the jewels? Somebody not looking for jewelry. And then also sees all the pictures of the cat. Yeah. Then they hear a gunshot. He sees Edgar. Jay yells, K, get down. Draws his noisy cricket. Fires. It blows a hole through the wall. Slams it back into the wall. This is Will Smith on a wire. And you know what's interesting? At the beginning of the movie, uh, Agent D was slow to get his gun out and Mm. falls down and slow to get up. And now... Tommy Lee Jones is on the ground, slow yeah. to get up. Will Smith is up instantly, firing and chasing. So it's a good parallel. Yeah. Every time he fires, he gets slammed back. He <laughs> blows a hole through a whole truck. And finally, Kay gets to him and says, We do not discharge our weapons and view of the public. Man, we ain't got time for this cover-up bullshit. And again, 
Tommy Lee Jones, just perfect on this line. I don't know whether or not you've forgotten, but there's an alien battle cruiser about to... There's always an alien battle cruiser or a Carillion death ray or an intergalactic plague that's about to wipe out life on this miserable little planet. The only way these people get on with their happy lives is they do not know about it. Edgar ends up at a newsstand and grabs a guy and says, Where do you keep your dead? I don't have any dead. Uh, Where? Uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, the city morgue? Jay is now trying to come up with a really good memory for all the people whose memory he's going to wipe. He's not doing a good job. We need help. A professional. Somebody with years of experience in intergalactic politics. I just hope the little prick hadn't skipped town. <laughs> and we cut to a locksmith stand and this really weird looking guy with a dog on the counter next to him. Now that's the worst disguise ever. That guy's definitely an alien. And the dog responds. You don't like it? You can kiss my furry little butt. So here's how a thing happens in a movie set, okay? <laughs> in the script, it says that Kay grabs the dog by the scruff of its neck yeah. and shakes him in order to get the answers he wants, like a cop, because we're, we're following cop rules. Like this yeah. is the cop who's going to shake down the, the witness or the person or the informant. So that script goes to the ASBCA, which is going to make sure that animals are not harmed. Right. They tell them the specific breed of dog they plan on using. And the, the ASBCA says, listen, you can't pick up that dog by the scruff of his neck. Some dogs you can pick up by the scruff of their neck. That's how their moms carry them. Some dogs you can't. This dog you can't. It would hurt the dog if you did that. Right. So they have to build a rig for the dog, which is built to. That's why the dog is like wearing like a sweater is that there's a rig that has a built-in handle that has supports that tie into where the dog is not sensitive yeah. in order to give the dog complete support when Tommy Lee Jones is going to pick it up by the scruff of its neck. Yeah. Makes sense, right? They get to the set. Tommy Lee Jones says, I wouldn't pick up the dog that way. I want to grab him by the sides. <laughs> and they go, well, you can't because that would hurt the dog. He's like, well, I wouldn't do it that way. And so, A, this is mostly a puppet. Yeah. B, the whole time they spent building the rig is completely wasted. And C, it all happened because that's just what it said in the script. Yeah. It's a classic shakedown scene. He starts shaking down the dog. And what we find out is that the guy who was killed was the guardian of a whole galaxy that was being kept on Earth. What do you mean here? Galaxies, hundreds of millions of stars and planets. How's it here? You humans, when are you going to learn that size doesn't matter? Just because something's important doesn't mean it's not very, very small. How small? Tiny, like the size of a marble or a jewel. And he says, now, if you'll excuse me, I got to be walked before my flight. <laughs> and the dog, as it's leaving, barks at a cat. And Jay sees the dog barks at the cat and the camera pushes in on him. And again, we know he's figured something out. Yeah. They, they give, it's again, it's so smart to give Jay these moments. It's so, because if you're going to build the guy up to take over Tommy Lee Jones' position, you've got to make him naturally able to do the job. And in that moment, he's aware. And, and it will mirror later the the uh, flying saucer moment that right. he gets. Exactly. So, yeah, these are these things. And they're smart writing. It is smart writing to make sure the audience subconsciously or consciously, depending on how intelligent they are, how aware they are, are picking up the clues that Jay is capable of doing this job. And so you've got to feel that way so that when Kay hands it over, you don't feel like he's a guy out of his depth um, or out of his element. And uh, it's these little smart moves that uh, that look like throwaway moments that actually show you that particular truth about Jay. Well, and this is what I mean about what percentage of the audience is clued in at what point. Mm -hmm. yeah. Is that I said the first things with the cat, maybe 10% 
would have thought that. When they get to the jewelry store and Jay says, man, this guy has a lot of pictures of his cat. Well, now we're up to 20, 15 or 20%. Right. At this moment where it's going to be, we find out the galaxy is really small and then the, we see the dog bark at the cat and the camera pushes up in on Jay. Well, now we're at like 35%. Then we cut to the doctor in the morgue as the cat jumps up on the table. Well, now 50, 60% of the audience is going, oh, I bet it's something to do with the cat. Right. And then she says, boy, when you want attention. And she looks at the collar. Orion, that's a pretty name. Now, 85, 90% of the audience, the, the anyone who is paying attention has gotten it. And what's, but what's so great, and I, I know I'm spending a lot of time on it, but what's so great about that is that for those 10% who started to figure out first, yeah. this moment feels amazing. And for the 20%, they feel like, because they were ahead, they figured a thing out before the movie told it to them. Right. That's a great experience. And then there's some people, and, I, and I'm sure you know, you've know you sat with your grandparent or whoever, who <laughs> yeah. goes, what's going, I don't understand. And you're like, dude, the, the galaxy is in, that's the, and then we have this next moment where she looks down at the big bobble around the cat's neck and we see her eye light and we see the galaxy inside. Yeah. Um, by the way, the music at this moment totally sounds like Wrath of Khan music. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. Um, uh, so, and right at this moment, who shows up at the morgue but Edgar? Hmm. And who is working the front desk at the morgue? <laughs> David Cross. David Cross. Great cameo. Our little scene here with him was fantastic. And by the way, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio said that he was thinking of a particular world-famous director who acted in a movie that we have reviewed in the cinephiles Ooh. when he delivered this line. And I will now say the line. I'll probably cut to Vincent doing it. Mm. But maybe my performance will, will give you a sense of this. He says, It was a very dear friend of mine. I believe he had an animal with him. It was a gift I gave him. A pet cat. It means worlds to me. I'd like to have it back. I didn't do a very good job with that. I don't know. No, I did. You know, it, it, I don't know. Yeah. I, I did a terrible job. Uh, and so if you listen to D'Onofrio, you would probably hear the voice of John Houston from oh, Chinatown. Oh, yes. Mr. Getz. Mr. Gettys. Mr. Gettys. Yeah. Um, yeah. But... Uh, can we take a moment here to appreciate D'Onofrio's performance? We haven't talked about it too much yet. And I think this is where we're about to get into the meat of what an incredible actor D'Onofrio yeah. is. As you mentioned earlier, the little thing with the hand um, and just his overall reaction to things. When he comes out of the jewelry shop to confront the tow truck driver, the way he's moving and the way he's grabbing the shotgun and the back and forth. And by the way, he does shoot the tow, So he won that battle. But the, hmm. the, the way he's doing all of this, the way he's moving, the performances, the frustration when he's trying to open the thing and the jewels come out and it's not the universe and he's angry and he's frustrated, all these little things. And then when he goes into the morgue here, we're about to see, the performance here that he is doing is just phenomenal. As much as you're enjoying Will Smith and enjoying Tommy Lee and, of course, Linda Fiorentino, what D'Onofrio is doing here is, I think, quietly the um, – the how can i say this the un underrated performance of the movie because we just always doing things with his hands physical performances and comedy is very very difficult it's you can do broad stuff and you'll get away with it but he's being very specific and this speaks to the talent and intelligence of d'onofrio as an actor is he knew specifically 
what to do in certain moments. And as you just said, he um, calls upon influences of other things to play with them within the role he's creating. And I think he's incredible, you know. Um, he's amazing. And I'll, and I'll tell you one of the things that they did. And again, this relates right. to what I was talking about before in terms of tone was they didn't know how this was going to play. Yeah, and so what right. Sonnenfeld and D'Onofrio did was he basically gave him three levels and he said, we're going to have a, com- a, a really controlled level, a kind of in the middle level and a totally over the top level. And every time we do a scene, I'm going to let you play with all three of those levels because we don't quite know what's going to work yeah. when we get in the editing room. Almost all the time, it's the over-the-top performance is the one that they used in in the movie. Oh yeah, um, and oh. I think I think he's incredible because yeah, this yeah, isn't yeah. like any again. You know, just like I said, this tone isn't like any other movie. Yeah. This character of the bug in the Edgar suit, there is no movie analog, right? Right. For this kind of a character, yeah. This is something he had to invent. And the the other thing, by the way, that's really helping out is that Edgar suit is rotting and becoming more and more disgusting Yes, every time we see it. And at this point, it's pretty damn gross. Yeah. Um, and I also love that, that the, the David Cross doesn't like bugs and kills a couple. And we see immediately oh. that is not making him happy. Don't do that. Yeah. And then when more bugs come out and he, and he David Cross goes down below the counter, comes out with the double bug spray... And then you see just his reaction to the fact that he's just about to get killed. Okay, uh, why don't you let me handle this one? What? Look, come on, man. All we got to do is go in here and get a cat. It's not really that hard. But if you go in there, you're going to lay your Jack Webb on her, start flashing your brain ray all in her face. You're going to wind up with leukemia or some shit. Do you think part of this is that he just wants to be alone with uh, this woman? Uh, maybe, but I also think what's been building up for the last few scenes is his questioning of Jay's, okay, sorry, Kay's usage of the neuralizer and yeah. how it's messing people up. So I think this is actually coming from a place of Yeah, I think you're right, empathy, actually. Right? Because yeah. he was kind of unsettled by her saying he had be- beautiful eyes or whatever in the morgue. So Will, I think, Will, and what he's going to say later in the interactions here with is he likes to be the driver. Clearly, Jay likes to be the driver. And so- what we're going to see here in this moment, I think in this next scene kind of shows me that he wasn't going in because he wanted to be alone with her. It was more a matter of maybe somewhat protection of her against Kay's neuralizer trigger happy tactics. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so Kay agrees to give him two minutes on his own. We cut inside and Edgar is slamming her up against the wall and asking for the cat. Yeah. And then we hear Jay. And he comes in and she's standing there next to a gurney acting very strange. (laughs) This is great. Uh, (laughs) Double entendre conversation. Well, I don't know where the cat is right now. Oh, you don't? No, but maybe you can take me with you instead. Damn, you do start fast, don't you? (laughs) And of course, we know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. And I I love that, you know, that the camera shows Edgar on the gurney below them. Yeah. And I also like, and again, they do a perfect job of making him both funny and scary simultaneously. Mm-hmm. There's something I need to show you. And she's pointing down to Edgar on the gurney. Yeah. But for oh. what Jay sees is that she seems to be pointing towards her, her crotchal area. Her private area. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> her private parts. Yeah. Mm, slow down, girl. You ain't got to hit the gas like that. <laughs> it's a really funny scene. Yes. And again, I say, 
Jay's incredible ability to observe and understand what's really going on in a situation is completely destroyed when she is in the room. Yes, right. Kind of, yeah, kind of uh, short-circuited. Yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then this speech, and 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 this I don't think ages all that well. The Oh, uh, one thing. I got to drive. You know, it's not some macho trip. I'm what I'm saying. That's just the way I get down. I got to drive is a weird, that's kind of a weird thing. Yeah, he wants to be the he wants to be the man in the situation. And, yeah, he wants the to be the man in the situation. Yeah. yeah, as Kay outside in the entryway goes to light his cigarette, some slime falls down. He looks up and sees David Cross sealed to the ceiling. Look, stud, you're really not getting this. There's something I need you to help me with. And finally, he gets it. Yeah, finally, she points down as like, you idiot. <laughs> yeah. And at the moment he gets it, the cat jumps onto the gurney. Edgar grabs the cat. Kay enters. They both have their weapons on him. And he grabs Linda Fiorentino. Freeze it, bud. Christ, you are thick. Look, how was I supposed to know? What did I have to do? Sing it for you? Well, if you weren't coming on like some drunken prom date. Oh, God, that is so typical. Anytime a woman shows the slightest hint of sexual independence. Oh, I don't shut up. I like that for the bug. Yeah. He is above humans on the evolutionary ladder. Yes. You guys are milk suckers. Yeah. yeah. And they're, you know, they're, we're in a showdown. We see that he has the galaxy. We see he's grabbed her. They're trying to say it's going to be okay. How is it okay? I'm saying it's going to be okay. Don't bet on it, meat sack. <gasps> and he jumps up through the window and we're in a chase. Yeah. Uh, Edgar goes, stops a cab, pulls a guy out of the taxi, including the beaded thing that goes on the back of the seat, <laughs> which Sonnenfeld thought only New Yorkers would get. Oh, really? Um, and oh. a, and everyone got it. Everyone understood that, that that's how you recognize that this is a cab. Uh, apparently, Will Smith was like, can I have a little more action-y chase stuff to do? And that's why he jumps over the thing and has, that's part of why this scene exists is because Will Smith wanted some more action. That makes sense. Yeah. But needless to say, they leave in a cab. Um, he, uh, the, the thing, by the way, when he makes her drive and she doesn't want to, and then he opens his mouth and like crazy tentacles come out. It's really gross. Yeah. He's not leaving the planet in a cab. Let's go. So we're back at headquarters. The uh, Arcarians or Altarians or whatever they are, fire a warning shot. What the hell are they shooting at us for? Dark alien battle rules, kid. First we get an ultimatum, then a warning shot, and then we have a galactic standard week to respond. A galactic standard week? How the hell long is that? One hour. And then finally, we've translated their message, which says, deliver the galaxy or the Earth will be destroyed. Sorry. <laughs> the sorry is great. It's real quick. It just popped up there. Sorry, boom. And then it's replaced. Yeah. So, and again, we kind of have the same thing, which is we're going to have this audio bunch of exposition, which is Zed and K trying to figure out how he's going to leave, where he's going to go, yeah. while we have Will thinking, and he looks up at the picture of the World's Fair, mm. and they're totally ignoring him. And he says, Fallon, we're running out of time here. If that bug gets off the planet, that galaxy, we're all bug food. Hey, old guys, <laughs> do those still work? And we see those saucers from the World's Fair. Yeah. So he has solved the problem. You know, again, that's good structure for our buddy movie and for the guy who's coming of age into this world. And we dissolve to the actual saucers from the World's Fair. And he has still got uh, Linda Fiorentino. And he's and he, she says she wants to be let go. And he goes, you're coming with me. What? 
It's a long trip. I'll need a snack. K and J are driving towards, uh, is this the, I assume this is the Holland Tunnel. Is that what goes yeah. to Queens? Uh, I Forgive me, New Yorkers, if I don't know my oh. geography well enough. You remember the little red button? Yeah. Push the little red button. And you may want to put on a seatbelt. Will Smith doesn't put on a seatbelt. They push the button, and of course, we're with ILM, who transforms the Ford POS into this crazy high-tech rocket car, and they roll around, and so they're on the top of the tunnel. Will Smith has fallen to the roof of the car. <laughs> they did shoot this upside down, by the way, so so Tommy Lee Jones is hanging from the ceiling as Will Smith is crawling around in the car. There are three things going on here. Yep. There is the exterior of the car, which is CG. The interior of the car, which is Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones on an upside down set. And then the cars that they're flying over is a huge one eighth model of the Holland Tunnel with all the cars in it that they're doing with a computer controlled camera shot. Right. I think this is so funny because Tommy Lee Jones goes as he grabs an eight track tape of Elvis. You know, you're much too tense. You're a young man. You need to relax. Learn to take some joy in your work. You like music? And we get Elvis Presley, Promised Land. That's better. So I want to say something personal. At this moment, I that song coming on has never affected me when I watched it, other than, hmm. oh, funny uh, old guy. Yeah. Well, now that I'm an old guy, <laughs> yeah. I have come to really reevaluate late 19s oh, 1970s elvis like hmm. mid to late because this is around that time promise land and i have discovered all these songs that really i would have never listened to as a younger man but as an older man have for whatever reason more resonance to me so when that song came on which i totally forgotten was at this moment i was like oh my god i'm Tommy Lee jones i am now <laughs> Tommy Lee jones like it's kind of these little moments you're like this makes sense. An old dude putting on late 1970s Elvis makes all the sense of the world to kind of showcase where he's at emotionally as a character. He didn't put on, you know, blue suede shoes or hound dog or heartbreak hotel. He put on something from the late un that isn't as well appreciated, but still has a good audience, uh, 1970s Elvis. So I thought that was a really smart character beat to choose that song to give you an, a slight more, more of a window into K. So, yeah. yeah. So, A, I, the, the fact that it's an A-track, I think it's a great choice. I love the A-track. Uh, Genius. Uh, yeah. I, and I think it's a great choice that it is that particular Elvis. I never have listened to late 70s Elvis, ever. I discovered Elvis. Hmm. Like, I got really, really into Elvis right in that era when I was watching sure. Happy Days as a kid. And so I listened to all the 50s stuff. And yeah. then later on, I discovered the 60s Elvis, which I love some of those songs, Suspicious Minds and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. But no, I never had this eight track tape of 70s Elvis. Oh, that was, there, that's there. Sorry, Steve, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. No, that's just stuff I never listened to. Yeah. Well, they're all on YouTube now in HD, HQ format, mm. album, like whole albums. Mm. And I have caught myself on more than one occasion over the last few months just kind of laying on the couch for two or three hours and just listening to this older Elvis type of stuff. And I find more value in it hmm. than I was initially led to believe it had when I was a younger man and people would talk about Elvis. And so I, all of this is to say some of you may go may need to go back and reappreciate 
those final few years of Elvis's life and Elvis's albums and songs around that time. So, and and we have a great button on the scene, which is you do know Elvis is dead, right? No, Elvis is not dead. He just went home. He just went home. I love that line. It's part, because it's the whole movie has set us up for that joke. Yes, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yes, uh, Edgar is carrying her up the tower, and she is trying to talk her way out of it. And but I don't, I really don't understand because she says, "I'm a queen, and you're going to start a war." And he says, "Good war. That means more food for my family. All seven, eight million of them." But then he tosses her away into the tree. So I don't under, I don't think the scene makes sense. It doesn't yeah, matter. It's, it's it's all fine. She fights um, her way out and he talks. So it's weird. Yeah. But yeah, I agree with you. It doesn't make sense. They've parked and now he hands Jay a big gun. That's what I'm talking about. Bro, just check in. They don't check out. And this moment I wrote down and they are together. Like yeah. now they're fully partners. We're through this movie to make them partners. Um, it's eight minutes, the destruction of earth. The ship is pulling away. He gives him some, but, and by the way, we have a completely unnecessary scene where he flies over the baseball stadium and the outfielder sees the ship and it hits and a ball hits him in his head. I don't mean unnecessary. That's not funny. I just yeah. mean, I like th it, th this clearly is like, let's spend some more money on one more little bit to add. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's circling back around. He gives him some instructions. All right, we'll use Pulsar level five with a subsonic implosion factor. What? Just shoot the damn thing on the count of three. One, two, three. They fire, they hit it, shot from the trailer of the ship crashing towards them, kicking up all the dirt and knocking down the trees, and them standing still as approaches, and just a little bit of Jay gives Kay that look like, shouldn't we run or something? <laughs> and Kay stands stock still. And so Jay also stands still and it stops right in front of him. Yeah. And Edgar gets out. You're under arrest for violating sections 4153 of the Tyco Treaty. So that's the Kay performance, the yeah. just the facts, straight up yep. thing. And now we get the Jay moment. So hand over whatever galaxy you might be carrying and step away from your busted ass vehicle and put your hands on your head. Oh, oh. I'll put my hands on, on my head. He's reaching up and you see him ripping his skin off yeah. and turning into the giant version of the CG bug. And as he is doing this, this is my first thought. They mm -hmm. stand there for a really, really long time. And I'm yeah. like, you guys should shoot. At right. this point, you know he's about to attack you. You probably should shoot. And they, of course, don't shoot. And right. he eats the guns. Here's another point about this. Remember my story about the dog and all the effort they put into to creating the harness so that you could grab him by the scruff of the neck oh, yeah. that they ended up yeah. not using? Yeah. I'm going to tell you a similar story that is 50 times more than that. Okay. Which is, in the script, there is a very long scene where Will Smith's character has a long philosophical conversation with the bug. Oh, wow. And so they went to Rick Baker and said, we need to be able to have a creature that can have a conversation that is a fully articulatable mouth and that can have all these facial expressions and be in all these positions. And so Rick Baker spends seven months building a huge, wow. exceptionally complex, particularly in the face puppet in order to deliver on what is in the script which is the long conversation between jay and the bug 
Yeah. As they're getting towards the end of production, Sonnenfeld goes, this is an action comedy. An action comedy should have an action sequence at the end of the movie, not a long philosophical conversation. Hmm. And so a week before they're supposed to shoot this thing, as Rick Baker is finishing his probably hundreds of thousands of dollars or however much, seven months it took work to build this bug, they throw that scene out and add an action sequence. And so they never use or maybe only barely use the puppet that Rick Baker built. And instead, because it's an action sequence, they do it entirely in CG. Yeah. And I think it's totally the right decision. To go CG? No, to have an action sequence and yeah, not a conversation. I, I think it would have, but I, I, I might, I, let's see, I, I'm not certainly that I disagree, but I, for me, what struck me watching it this time is that I don't like that you have someone like Vincent D'Onofrio, who is this incredible actor. That's a good point. And then at the end, you completely just turn him into a fucking creature that doesn't speak. And we've seen all these other aliens speak already in the That's movie. That's true. That's yeah. a great point. So to me, I think it actually, and I was watching, and this is the first time it ever occurred to me, and it's probably doing the show and doing what I do now, being much more analytical about these things than I used to be. For me, I think it actually takes away from the ending. Not that they have to have a philosophical discussion, but a back and forth. Because you also undercut Will. And Will having a chance to go back and forth with D'Onofrio is more um, territory for him to do comedy and have this be action sequence and funny at the same time. Now it just becomes an action sequence that is Will just spouting stuff out rather than having a back and forth with him. Uh, so I thought it was, a bi- I think it's one of the big strikes I have against the movies that you all of a sudden take out Vincent D'Onofrio as an actor from your finale and that doesn't make sense because you've built him up so much and given him so many interesting moments that it doesn't make sense but the i but i don't disagree with you that the cgi was the smarter way to go in terms of the look yeah so having listened to what you just said yes i think you are totally right and mm-hmm. I, i'm, I'm kind of reading now i haven't read whatever this scene was right, Will right. Smith, and maybe it was a great scene maybe it was a bad scene right. but i actually do think that this final action sequence compared to the rest of the film is disappointing yes you know like it's not bad i don't think it's bad but i don't think it's great this is you know late 90s cg so the cg is where it is at this time and i would say it's less good than some of the other cg in the film because it's trying to do more heavy lifting right and i totally agree that we've lost onofrio i hadn't thought about it but now that you say it it's like yeah we've lost this super compelling character and replaced it with a monster and so but why i totally like the film and i think that it works after listening to your points, I go, oh, this is an area where maybe the film could have been a little bit better. Yeah. Um, but needless to say, it gets their guns, and Kay says, Whatever happens, don't let him get on the second ship. What? What are you talking about? Keep him on this planet. Okay, okay, where are you going? Let me get my gun back. Um, and he goes forward and starts insulting <laughs> the bug until finally he starts yelling, you slimy, gut-sucking, intestinal parasite! Eat me! Eat me! The bug eats him whole. And I think we know where this is this is going, you know what I mean? Because yeah. he said, I'm going to get my gun. And now Will Smith is doing his best to distract him. He throws a rock at him, and he's basically getting his ass kicked by this giant bug. Um, keeps getting knocked down, more and more hurt, keeps getting up. And the bug is at this point ignoring him. Yeah. And then he sees a bug on his sleeve 
and then looks down at the dumpster and there are all these bugs. He kicks the dumpster, a panel open, a whole bunch of bugs come out and he steps on one of them. And when he steps on one of them, there is a huge reaction from our bug. And again, to point out every one of these giant bugs, they had to count them and they had to make sure that none of them were harmed in the making of this film. Good God. Um, Don't come to my house. (laughs) Well, well. Big bad bug got a bit of a soft spot, huh? See, what I can't understand is why you gotta come down here bringing all this ruckus, snatching up galaxies and everything. And again, this is where I'm continuing to think about your point, is like, there's so many points in this action sequence where characters don't do what they should do, which yeah. is they should have shot the bug when the bug started turning into the giant bug. They just yeah. hesitated and it just doesn't make sense. Right. And now we have our giant bug inches away from Will Smith face to face while he is monologuing. There's no reason that he doesn't just kill him in this yeah. moment. Yeah. Need to ease up out my face for something bad happened to you. And you hear the sound of that weapon starting out. Too late. Now we have both Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones sitting covered in slime. Will Smith in particular hated this slime. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. It looks terrible. And it is, it's edible. I mean, it's like it's made out of like caro syrup and stuff like that. But it just, and and you got to remember, it's cold out and it's all day sitting in this stuff, you know? Yeah. Tommy Jones calls up the galaxy and they're talking. And as they're talking, we see big part of the bug still walking around, moving around behind them. Not bad for your second day of work, is it? (laughs) It's definitely rates about a 9.0 on my weird shit-o-meter. Should have been here for the Zeronian migration in 1968. I guess you weren't even alive in 68, which I checked. And Will Smith is almost exactly my age. He was born Ah, in 68. Nice. Um, And the bug jumps up from behind them and is about to kill them and explodes. And then we turn and see Linda Fiorentino carrying the other big gun. And she says, interesting job you guys have. We're walking up to headquarters and Jay is defending her and just doesn't want her to be flashy thinged. Yeah. And Kay pulls out the neuralizer and says, it's not for her. It's for me. What? They're beautiful, aren't they? Stars. I mean, I never look at them anymore, but they actually are quite um, beautiful. Which, of course, is the exact lines that Agent D said at the very beginning of the film. Uh, Kay, you're frightening your partner. I haven't been training a partner. I've been training a replacement. Days, months, years. Always face it forward. Okay. I've just been down the gullet of an interstellar cockroach kid. That's one of a hundred memories that I don't want. Jay puts on his glasses. See you around, Jay. No. You won't. So I said it at the very beginning, and I'm going to say it here. I think this is all well-constructed. Yeah. It's well-planted. We had the scene of him looking at the girl. We talked about how he's developing some regrets. And to me, this is a total misunderstanding of what this movie is accomplishing emotionally, which is it is accomplishing a partnership. This is a buddy movie. And to end the partnership at the end of the buddy movie is not what we, the audience, want. 
Yeah. We and and then what they had to do in the sequel is reverse all of this anyway because we want the part. This is what we want. We want these two guys together. That yeah. is emotionally where I want to be at the end of this film. Yeah, I, I'm on your I'm on your side because as I was watching the movie, uh, with that in mind, because of what we do on the show, I don't think they actually earn this moment. Even though this moment is great and really well acted by two fantastic yeah. actors, I don't think they've set it up quite enough with solo scenes with Tommy Lee Jones where he is questioning the situation. Even like you could have, and I know it would have been like weird to have a scene with him and is it Agent D? Like mm-hmm. having a separate scene where he goes to visit Agent D and they sit and have like coffee or lemonades outside on his house. And the guy, or he goes to see Agent D and he watches Agent D from a distance to see his life. I think that could have been something you could have explored. It's just that the film is going at such a breakneck speed. It would have been tough to slide a scene like that in when world domination or world ending stuff was happening. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would have liked to have seen them lay the groundwork for this a little bit more. Um, because it, as I said, it's well acted. It just, I don't think it's a hundred percent earned. I, I don't think, I honestly don't think there's any amount of groundwork you could lay that would combat what is the basic narrative thrust of the film. Mm. The basic narrative thrust of the film is we love watching these guys work together. Yeah, great point. Yeah, you yeah. know, that's what this movie, the, the, the whole joy of the movie, the why the movie is working right. is seeing these two people come together. It's not a movie about a guy who, and it's, yeah. it's funny because it relates to what my objection, of, what my dumb, incorrect objection of the first Mission Impossible movie that we discussed was I was like, oh, that should be the second movie because yeah. you should establish. Well, in this case, I'll stand by that statement, which is that this is where you establish the partnership. If in the sequel you want it to be about Tommy Lee Jones heading towards his end, sure, you could do that. Right. But you can't do it. I mean, I mean of course. It totally works. The movie totally works. It's well acted. It's not It's not bad. It's just, you know, where we end up in this last moment is not where I really want to end up, which is yeah. who we cut to. It's later on. We see the New York Post. We see an article that says Detroit has car that defies gravity, which is <laughs> funny. And then we cut to Linda Fiorentino, who is now a a woman in black. Yeah. And we also cut to, we see their outfits, which are, and what's so funny is this is what looks dated. Yeah. Their outfits yeah. where they went, let's do the cool modern version of the men in black suits. Look, the, the actual men in black suits look awesome. Yeah. The, Timeless. Yeah. The 97 version of the men in black suits look totally fucking dated. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Another reason it doesn't work oh, too, is that we haven't done enough to establish their interaction. No. There's been like playful sexual, whatever, but like, there isn't like they haven't gone off on their own semi mission, like get information from this person type thing, which would allow us to kind of buy into them becoming the next version of the men in black in a sequel. So, yeah, I, I think you're 100 percent right on that. It doesn't feel like it was the right ending for a movie like this, even though well, it's a it, damn good, well acted ending. Yeah. If the plot of the sequel had been Tommy Lee Jones is heading towards retirement now. Yeah. And right. Linda Fiorentino cool. is yes. going to become the next person 100%. that 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 would be a good movie to have. Right. This moment is like it's 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 kind of a fun joke at the end. And we have the little joke about Dennis Rodman being an alien and her last line, not much of a disguise. Um, it's it's all fine. 
Yeah. Then, but it, but it's not great. And then what we do is we go into the sequence, and this was definitely added after when they decided to spend a bunch more money on the movie. This is the most expensive shot in the whole film. Yeah. Is this CG sequence as we go up? And it's referencing, by the way. Do you know the short film Powers of Ten? It's one I remember watching in junior high. No, what is that? You might have seen it. And what, okay. what it is, is made by the Eames brothers. We were the famous furniture designer who designed okay. the Eames chair. And it is a thing that starts at a picnic and the camera pulls up and every 10 seconds it is 10 times farther away. Mm-hmm. And so it's up in the clouds and then it's you see the planet Earth and then you see oh. the solar system and then you see galaxies and then you see lots of galaxies. And then it goes the other way and goes in and in and in back to the picnic then to the guy's hand and then yep. into his cell structure and then goes zooms in by order magnification of 10 until you're finally looking at the atoms inside the guy's hand. Okay. You, you go on YouTube, you'll watch it. It's like an eight minute movie. And I completely remember watching it in junior high. And that is, and Barry Sonnenfeld mentions it in the commentary oh. track. He's totally referencing that as the camera comes back and back and back. And we leave, you know, from the earth, to the solar system, to galaxies, to lots of galaxies, until the galaxies become like atoms, and the atoms are part of a marbles game on an alien world where they are playing with our entire universe as part of a game. (laughs) It's a really cool thing, and Sonnenfeld felt this is his whole philosophy of the movie, which is that everything, it's like the line that Tommy Lee Jones has about, imagine what you will believe is true tomorrow, Yeah, is that our understanding of the universe is so completely minuscule and possibly so totally disconnected from what's really going on, which is we're part of a giant marble game in alien, you know, being played by aliens. Yeah. That's his whole philosophy that he was playing with in uh, the movie Men in Black. Oh, interesting. Okay, cool. And while we're seeing that, what are we hearing? But Will Smith, Men in Black. I like this song. I like this Men in Black song. I, t- I totally like it. It is definitely one that I heard too much <laughs> at the time that it was played, but it is a perfectly fun uh, Will Smith song. I like his Wild Wild West song better. I like it that better too. Yeah. But yeah. Oh, I like this movie, movie better. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I like that song better. Uh, it premiered at the Cinerama Dome on Ooh. June 25th, 1997. It made $584 million worldwide. That's crazy making it the ninth highest grossing film of the entire 90s. Mm-hmm. It's the third highest grossing film of the of the year. You might wonder, what would have been more higher grossing in 1997 than Men in Black? And the answer, of course, is Titanic. Yeah, of course, a, a billion-dollar film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it was uh, nominated for uh, makeup and art direction and score. Mm. Uh, it won for makeup, which I think makes sense. And, you know, Titanic, <laughs> Titanic <laughs> with everything else. Right. Uh, that is everything I have on men in black. Um, I'll, I'll tell you my final thoughts, okay, sure. which is, I don't have a lot of final thoughts, except I totally love this movie. Yeah. There, there are certain movies where it's just, they capture, I'll go back to that word of tone. They yeah. capture a tone so perfectly and it's so damn entertaining. And yeah, we you know we can have long conversations about 
Will Smith and about the slap. And, and, and obviously there is, I've never once ever said that I thought that was okay or anything like that, but I don't want to have that conversation right now. Right. Because what, because what I want to have say is that this is the emergence of a star and the star that emerges in this moment, I absolutely adore. And the support that he gets from Tommy Lee Jones, who is the rock of this movie and all the other supporting cast and the great comedy, the incredible designs from Rick Baker, the incredible set designs, the look of the film, the music, the score from Danny Elfman, all of it comes together to have what is a completely 100% enjoyable ride that I will watch many, many, many times before I am done on this tiny little marble. That's part <laughs> of some giant other universe that I don't even begin to understand. What are your thoughts? I don't, I don't, I like Steve. I don't know if I have any final thoughts on a film like this because it's just that a, it still holds up B it's a fun time and C, I think what Steve said just a few seconds ago is absolutely correct. This is a film that's great to watch for the emergence of a superstar. And that is Will Smith. Uh, and the furthering of an enjoyment of a fantastic actor like Tommy Lee Jones and the appreciation of a unique voice, a successfully unique voice in the world of film, and that's Barry Sonnenfeld. And so everything about this movie shouldn't have worked, but in the right hands, it worked, and these were the right hands. And it's a movie that all these decades later, two decades two decades plus later, is still a film that works and uh, makes you laugh and makes you think and is resonant with some of the conversations they have in that movie. So shout out to this thing being one of those timeless comedy sci-fi classics. And there are a lot of sci-fi comedies but this one certainly belongs in the top of the pile. So that's what we think of Men in Black. Of course, we'd love to hear your thoughts. You can visit us on our Facebook page. All you have to do is search for The Cinephiles. It's Cine underscore files on Twitter, The Cinephiles podcast on Instagram. And you can support the show and possibly listen to our watch along for Sergeant Pepper's <laughs> Lonely Hearts Club Band. <laughs> On patreon.com slash the cinephiles, you can buy or stream Men in Black along with every other movie we've ever reviewed on cinephiles.net. You can uh, review the show on Apple Podcasts, also on Spotify. Leave your comments on YouTube. Subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe multiple places. Why not? And you can find me at SR Morris on Twitter, SR Morris one on Instagram. John, how would folks find you? You can always find me at the Roca says on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, the Outlaw Nation on Twitch, and my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Roca says, where we cover all kinds of things going on in the world of entertainment. And this has been a fun conversation, Steve. I'm glad you suggested this film, and it was a blast to revisit this with you. I felt 100% the same way. That was so much fun, and I think that is it for this week, and we will see you next time for another great film. In fact, next time is going to be a great Halloween film <laughs> right here on The Cinephones. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only 
new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.